listening to the gospel according to Luke. Our text is Luke chapter 20, verses 45 through chapter 21, verse 4. Our theme is discipleship. The title of our message, Of Mites and Men. Giving it my best shot here. Anybody thinks they can do better, I'm always listening. Beginning in verse 45 of chapter 20. Then in the hearing of all the people, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts. They devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all for all these out of their abundance have put in their offerings for God. But she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. Let's pray together. Lord, we're grateful always for the word of God. Sometimes you make comparisons and contrasts that we don't fully comprehend, don't fully understand because of the cultural differences. And so I pray that you would help us to work through that this morning so that we could derive from this text everything that you desire for us to see. Lord, it just really beginning with the reading of it continues with commenting upon it. But the most important part of our study this morning is the Holy Spirit who is here in this place speaking to individual hearts to the hearts of Christians Lord as as he takes the word of God and makes comparisons contrasts associations and understandings that that I won't make this morning but that are made individually as we attend to your voice and then there are obviously Lord the hearts of several unbelievers I'm sure upon those hearts Lord he desires to impress the beauty Of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the glory of the Lord, showing them their sin, but their Savior as well. We ask that you would be honored, magnified, glorified, exalted in this place. All honor and majesty, Lord, to you. May we decrease so that you may increase in our midst. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and those who agreed said, Amen. The televangelist looked sternly into the camera. She said that God was about to lift his anointing off certain members of her TV viewing audience. Why would he do it? Because although they were benefiting from her ministry, they had not contributed any money to her. If they didn't immediately send her a generous gift, expect the end of the anointing. Another minister takes a different approach. He wants you to share in his anointing, but you need to build a bridge to his ministry. How do you build such a bridge? Your generous gifts build what he calls a money bridge over which the anointing of God can flow into your life. Obviously, if you're not receiving that anointing, that blessing, it's a bridge that hasn't gone far enough. Keep building, brother. 
Now, whether it's by a threat or by a promise, these so-called ministers are using manipulation tactics to extort money from God's people. It's nothing new. Jesus warned his first disciple saying, beware of the scribes who devour widows' houses. Jesus' words would have seemed radical to those listening. The scribes were considered the pillars of the community. The Lord was exposing them as parasites. They were like termites devouring widows' houses. If they could not look to the scribes for an example of how to live, where could they look? Jesus was already one step ahead of them. He directed them to look at a poor widow making her meager offering of two mites. If you wanted an example of true discipleship, there it was. We can learn from both the termites and the two mites. We'll organize our thoughts around two points. Number one, disciples don't devour. And number two, disciples die daily. First of all, in chapter 20 at the end, disciples don't devour. Have you ever received a fundraising letter in the mail? This one is from Flesh Ministries, and it goes like this. Dear Gene, God spoke to me. Yes, he spoke to me and put your gullible name on my heart. <laughs> Write a form letter to Gene, God said, and employ Madison Avenue sales tactics to advance the kingdom of God through Flesh Ministries. Gene, in the past, God owned the cattle on a thousand hills, but lately he has fallen on hard times. <laughs> Believe it or not, the Almighty is in desperate need of your money. Without your money, God's work on this planet will sputter to an abrupt halt. You need to give a tithe to God by sending your money to me. God is desperate. Allow me to explain God's dire need. Gene, you see, we have a giant mortgage on this monument we built to ourselves. I mean, built to God. Even though most of the money ends up in the hands of the bankers, I am acting as a broker for them. So it really is sort of like giving to God. With the rest of the money, I pay my staff obscene salaries that they could not make anywhere else with their skills. This keeps them loyal to me in case I occasionally commit adultery or get caught mishandling church funds. They can't afford to expose me. If I go down, so do they. Now, I know you have real needs in your own family, community, and church. But by sending your money to me, think of how spiritual you will feel without ever getting your hands dirty helping real people. Flesh ministries will simulate all the ministry for you. And concerning those scriptures about giving to orphans, widows, and those who are really in need, Gene, God told me in a dream that I actually was an orphan of sorts and a widow too. So it's okay to give your money to me. Don't let us die. Keep the flesh alive and well with your generous gift. I've received letters just like that if you read in between the lines. Jesus wants us to beware of things like that. He used the scribes as his example. Scribes were the recognized authorities on the interpretation of God's word. They were revered and they were feared by the common people. They were doctors of the law, PhDs, as it were, master of divinity of their day. The Lord described them not as doctors, but as devourers. And he talked about six appetites. 
First, they had an appetite for attention. Verse 45. Then in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes. Now, the rule was that their robes should just barely touch the ground. Instead, they began adding length to their robes until, in effect, some of them had a train following them as they walked along. If a woman came into church this morning wearing a long dress with a train behind it, unless it was her wedding day, she'd draw your attention. In our culture, you'd think it was weird. In their culture, it had grown into a status symbol. It drew attention to these men. Be a little wary of people who draw spiritual attention to themselves, no matter how they do it. Usually we don't do it through dress of any kind, although it's possible still. Disciples should always want to decrease so that Jesus can increase. And so anytime there's a sense in your heart that a person is calling attention to themselves and away from Jesus... You're to be a little bit cautious about that. This is, by the way, I don't want to get into a big thing about this, but this is one reason why we try to be orderly when we have a service in which we open it up for prayer or prophecy or the exercise of the gifts of the Spirit. We really want things to be done decently and in order according to the Scriptures, mostly because we don't want people to begin to draw attention to themselves. Because if the attention is on you, then it's not on Jesus Christ. And he's really the only person that deserves our attention this morning and any time we get together. And so beware of that. Second, the devourers had an appetite for authority. Beware the scribes who love greetings in the marketplaces. Now, their robes singled them out, causing you to pay attention to them. And once you saw them, you must greet them with bows in the marketplace. You know how sometimes you see me at Save Mart and you try to avoid me by going to a different aisle? I'm in pretty good with Save Mart. I review the tapes. Now, that's not true. That's a good idea, though. And so once you saw these guys, you had to greet them with bows in the marketplace. When you bow to someone, it symbolizes that they are over you. They are your authority. I've told you many times. I can't help it. When I was a young boy, I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. And occasionally the bishop would come and visit our parish church. And he would always stand outside uh, when you were exiting church. And, and there's nothing, you know, I do that. I stand outside here. But we had a little bit different approach to things. Because when you went by the bishop, he would hold out his hand. On it is a ring that I, and I don't even know if this is true, but as a boy, I thought it was the ring symbolizing his marriage to Jesus Christ. Is that true? Some of you real hardcore Catholics. Anyway, they wore a ring. And you would bow and kiss the ring as a show of submission to the authority of the bishop into the church. I tried that first service a couple of times. <laughs> Instead of shaking hands, I, I put out my limp left hand to, a couple of good old boys took me behind the church and told me. <laughs> Protestant Christians are not immune from an appetite for authority. There are always groups that practice a kind of discipleship that claims too much authority over the lives of its members. 
Sometimes it's called shepherding. There's a lot of different names for it. It doesn't have to be a communal situation. Churches get this way. Occasionally I'll get a call from somebody saying their daughter or son is involved in a certain group and they are telling them who to marry and who not to marry, what kind of car to buy and not buy. They they kind of take control of your whole life. And it's sad. That's not discipleship. Discipleship isn't making decisions for you. It's living out the life of Jesus Christ before you so that you can learn how to make decisions for yourself. Within good churches, there are always individuals who would want to lord over you. Beware of them. I was still a young Christian, and I remember this couple in our church and um, this individual who sometimes came to the church just, you know, every now and then started to have words of prophecy for them. And it really was stumbling them and tripping them up because it was always, um, well, it was just always negative and and made them feel bad. And I remember one night they asked me to come over because he was going to come by. I told them, just get rid of that guy. Tell me you don't want to talk to him anymore. And and they did. And then he said he had one final word of prophecy for them. (laughs) So I went over there and he started to talk. And I said, hey, we don't care what you have to say. In fact, we're not going to listen to it. Why don't you just need to leave right now. He said, oh, brother, you know, how God's going to judge you. And I go, man, well, he's already judged you. So why don't you just leave? Yeah, and, and we got into it. Uh, and, and so there's always those kind of people. And so beware of them. Third, the devourers had an appetite for acknowledgement. Verse 46 again, beware of the scribes who love the best seats in the synagogue. Now, these were seats situated in the front of the boxes that contain the scrolls of scripture and they would face the congregation. Now let me say something. There are still churches, Protestant churches that do this. There are like, it it would be me standing here and then it'd be a row of chairs behind me. And some of the leaders of the church would be sitting back there. I'm not saying that this is a, a terrible, heretical, evil practice. Don't get me wrong. These men were doing it for the wrong motives. I think it's a goofy practice. I mean, imagine if, a few people were sitting behind me. They'd be making faces and going like this to me and stuff like that, coming up behind me with rabbit ears and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we're just, it's just a little weird to be listening to the word of God and see people behind you. And then, and I, I don't, I wouldn't want to be one of those people. What do you do? I mean, how do you look to, do you, what do you do with your hands? And I guess you have to sit there and, and look studious the whole time. So it's kind of weird just as a practice, but these guys were doing it as a show that that they were being acknowledged as the recognized spiritual leaders. We are always wary of people who want too desperately to be in front of the congregation. And it happens more frequently than you know that people come and they, they come to the church for the very first time and they let us know their tremendous level of skill and spirituality. And want to know which Bible study they can take over or which worship team that they can begin to lead or when can they do their solo. I can name three or four people that are no longer here because we simply said, well, why don't you just hang out with us for a while? Let us get to know you. I just met you for the first time who literally came up and said, you know, God's put a song on my heart and I'd like to share it with your congregation right now. What are you talking about? I'm nice, though, and I, I, I'm always real. I said, well, why don't you just get to know us, <laughs> you know? Because in the back of my head, I know they're, they're not going to be here next week. 
and they leave. They go somewhere else and you hear that they're singing at that other church, you know, and then you find out that they're backslidden and they're gone. And uh, I mean, that's sometimes the way it works, unfortunately. And so we, we, we just say, hey, why don't you get involved? Just get involved in a quiet, unassuming way. Listen, if I, for some reason, retired from the ministry, wasn't going to church here anymore, I wouldn't go to a church and think that I was going to do anything. I'd have to wait and see what the needs were. And then I'd wait to be asked. Hey, Gene, how would you like to, you know, work in the coffee shop? Yes, thank you. (laughs) Or anything, whatever it would be. And so be careful about people who are always wanting to be in front. We also do this by showing partiality many times. And so we want to be careful of that. So now, fourth, I think I'm in the, am I at the fourth one? I think so. Yeah, I completely lost her. I have no short-term memory anymore. I just want you to know that. So let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. (laughs) Hey, look, if you're losing your mind, you might as well have fun doing it. All of that can be edited out anyway, and we can add laughter For when I come up with these nuggets and you people go, Ugh. you're going to listen to the CD and think, eh, what's it? I don't remember that. I don't remember Gene being introduced by Billy Graham. I just, he's a man of God. Anyway, fourth, the devourers had an appetite for being set apart. Beware of the scribes who love the best places at feasts. The best places at feasts were those closest to the host. If you were seated there, you'd receive special treatment. You would be set apart from the others, privileged to the more important conversations. Christians sometimes try to set themselves apart by letting you know how spiritual they are. And and there's a million different ways of doing this. Uh, They can do name dropping. You know, I emailed so-and-so today. Uh, when I, I emailed uh, Franklin Graham today, well, yeah, it's on the Samaritan's Purse website. If you want to talk to Franklin Graham, send an email to someonewillanswerYou.com, you know, and so. <laughs> and uh, a lot of times Christians will let you know how spiritual they are by telling you when they got up in the morning. This this is a classic one. You yawn. Are oh, you tired? And I've been up since three. Emergency problem? Uh, no, I just. You know, spending the first three hours of my day with God. It's just something I've been doing for the last ten years. Feel like I'm robbing God if we don't have that time. And you know, you, you've heard all that. Not from me, but you've heard it. I get up at 3.15. Consider it sleeping in. But uh, anyway... Fifth, the devourers had an appetite for taking advantage. Beware of the scribes, verse 47, who devour widows' houses. As I said, scribes were also called lawyers. They weren't lawyers in the same sense of our word, but they were often asked to handle certain legal matters because they were doctors of the law of God. And they would handle the finances of widows. They would often... I was going to say always and often at the same time, but they would often take advantage of the widows. Today we would call this elder abuse. Uh, It's one form of elder abuse where people take advantage of of elderly people who don't really know what's going on and and they rip them off. 
Given an opportunity, they would equally exploit the rich. They were equal opportunity exploiters and they would devour anything that they could because of their position. Within any church, there are always going to be genuine needs, but there will also be those who seek to take advantage of your generosity, whether you have much or little to give. And so we want to be aware of them. Sixth and finally, the devourers had an appetite for asserting themselves. Beware of the scribes who, verse 47, for a pretense, make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Their long prayers were a pretense, meaning that they had the outward appearance of being devout disciples. But inwardly, we've just read that they had all of these carnal appetites. So a guy who is doing all of these things, ripping off old widows, then gets up and makes this beautiful, ornate, showy prayer showing off his spirituality guys like this they would assert themselves every chance they got oh would you would you pray for the meal oh yes would you pray for this prayer for that and then they would get up and they would pray these prayers and and sometimes we get drawn in by that again it's so hard because you have to have some discernment you 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 can't judge everybody through just the way they pray publicly it's kind of difficult to pray publicly it's like you're almost sharing something intimate with with a whole group of people while you're talking to God. But and some people are taught to pray a certain way publicly when they get through cemetery. They come out thinking that <laughs> that there's a certain way to pray. And, and so, though, the, though, in a message, they will tell you that prayer is just talking to God like I would talk to my best friend when they get up to pray. It's it's something very different than that. Oh, God, bless your people as the storms of life blow through. And, you know, sounds like Dory from Nemo, you know, speaking whale or something. I don't I don't know what that is. Now, again, I can't judge a person's heart. God can do that. Uh, and, and to me, it's just odd that people pray that way or that they would teach them to pray that way. It's, it's strange. You also assert yourself by always having something to say at a prayer meeting or a Bible study. There are people like this. Some of you have come from churches where there's uh, a lot of meetings where it's open to people participating and and there's there's always that one person who you can count on to say the same thing over and over and over again years ago we would have uh, our afterglow services or communion services whatever and we had this one lady who every 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 meeting would speak in tongues but she'd always say the same thing every time we'd open it up and i'd say and then she would say, Konichiwa. Konichiwa, Ichiwa, Konichiwa. 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 And I mean, you know, I'm making a little. And, and uh, I guess you've already determined that I didn't believe that it was, you know, valid. <laughs> it just seemed odd, you know, and, and uh, it was odd. It was extremely odd. And, 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 you know, so why do we assert ourselves like that? It's just. It's just something we don't want to do. Christians are not as analytical 
they're not as critical as they really ought to be. You should listen to what is being prayed or preached or prophesied. Does it have a tone with which God would address his dearly loved people? Does it really line up with what the Bible says? Remember years ago at a home Bible study, this gal started prophesying. And everybody was just, oh, praise the Lord. And then afterward, the, the leader was a friend of mine. I knew him real well. And I said, hey, what did you think about that prophecy? And he said, oh, praise the Lord, God's moving in our midst. I said, well, yeah, but what did you think about what was said? He goes, well, what was said? I said, well, this is what was said. And it was terrible. God's going to judge us. He's going to kill us. We're all on the verge of being thrown into hell. I mean, it was that kind of stuff. You know, I thought, you know, this isn't. This isn't the heart of God. This isn't the love of God. And so a lot of times we're, we're afraid to be critical. We're afraid to be analytical. We don't want to hurt anybody. In fact, I've said this for years and it's getting more and more true. You almost can't say anything to anybody that's in the category even close to being negative or correction or critical or anything without, I mean, it's just, it's a lost function of human behavior. No one can correct anybody else. No one can have an opinion. Uh, everybody gets hurt and wounded. And Christians are some, uh, sometimes we're the worst because we begin, to, you're judging me, brother. You're my motives, uh, you know, and all this stuff. And, and I mean, hey, it, it just, if it didn't work, it didn't work. And let's just get over that and be, uh, I, think I, I think they used to call it, let's man up. You know, just tough it out. So we need to be a a little bit analytical. There's nothing wrong with that. I would hope, I would sincerely hope, not for my sake, but for your sake, that you would get the CDs from Sunday morning and go listen to them and try and figure out if what I said was really biblical. Was it completely accurate? Where did I miss the mark? Is this something God is trying to speak to you about? They did that to Paul the Apostle. The Bereans went and they said, well, that sounded very interesting. I've never really heard anything like that before. Let's look in the Bible. Let's look in the scriptures to make sure that what we heard lines up with the scripture. It's really kind of a lost art. This, you know, I mean, I know sometimes when I've done a a, a ministry and I've completely blown it. And it doesn't do you any good to come up to me and say, oh, man, that was that was that was great. No, it wasn't. It was terrible. Just be honest about it. But if I go up to somebody and say, hey, you really blew it, man, I just, it's off, you know. So we need, obviously need to be careful talking to each other, but we need to be critical. We need to be analytical. Now, on earth, these kinds of people receive great recognition. Jesus said they're going to receive great condemnation. In the case of the scribes, this means that they were not truly saved. In our case, people who act like this may be saved, but they are carnal. They're fleshly. They're still dominated by their sinful appetites. They go about seeking to devour others. It makes them feel full on an earthly level. Disciples don't devour. Don't be taken in by someone who acts these ways. And if you see any of these qualities in your own life, turn away from them. Instead, chapter 21, disciples die daily. Just when his disciples and followers were starting to wonder who they ought to look to as an example... God provided just the right person. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. Now I'm told that there was a treasury in the court of the women in the Jewish temple where 13 offering boxes were kept. Each of them was labeled for a different cause or a different need. 
They were large at the base, but had a narrow neck and opening so that you had to put your offering in a little at a time. Thus, everyone would know how generous you were by how much time you spent at a box or several boxes, because you if you're putting a lot of coins in, you had to spend a lot of time there. A mite was about one eighth of a penny as far as it's worth in their culture. It was the least valuable coin in circulation. The rich were parading by, probably taking a lot of time, putting their coins into the various chests. And then a widow came and quickly dropped in her two mites. Everyone else noticed the wealthy. Jesus noticed them, but he particularly noticed the widow. We need to adjust our spiritual vision to be more like Jesus. We need to be on the lookout for the small, for the insignificant, for the lowly, and not be all taken in by the flash and the glamour and the celebrity of the world, whether it's in Christian circles or carnal or excuse me, secular circles. We want to be looking for the lowly, the insignificant and the small. And so he said, truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all for these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. There are several things to notice if you're interested in being a disciple of Jesus Christ. First, they were giving money to God's work on earth. Now, we don't harass you about your giving. Occasionally, we might let you know about a designated fund or something you can give to. But we don't really try to raise money here. It's up to you how much and how often you give to the work of God. We talk about giving or money when it's in our text, and it is. And what we learn here is that whether you are rich or poor, you should be giving to the Lord's work. The New Testament gives you a few principles to guide your giving. You know, a lot of times people say, okay, I I want to give to the Lord. Is it a tithe? Do I give 10%? Is that the model? And I always think that that's the wrong place to begin because God has given us principles rather than a particular number. And the principles, if you read through the New Testament, especially first and second Corinthians and especially second Corinthians eight and nine, you'll find that your giving should always be willing. It shouldn't be coerced or manipulated. You should want to give to the Lord. It should be regular. Paul talked about setting aside monies on the first day of the week or Sunday when the church gathered. It doesn't have to be on Sunday, but the indication is that people gave regularly. It should be generous. It should be sacrificial. And it should be joyful. I hope that everyone who gives does so in a cheerful way. (laughs) There it goes. Could have bought a hamburger, but no. And that you're happy about your giving. You really should be. It it shouldn't be something that causes you duress and, and stress. And so get alone with the Lord. Talk to him about your giving to his work and specifically about giving money. Use those principles that I mentioned as a guide. And then make whatever adjustment is necessary. Say, Lord, you know, is my is my giving joyful? Is it sacrificial? Is it generous, regular and willing? If not, Lord, how do you want me to proceed from here? And I've always said that uh, as far as the tithe, it's really not the New Testament principle. A tithe is too much for some. It's way too little for others because Jesus, even in the 
under the law looks at the widow and the wealthy and he says, I judge by proportion, not by portion. She gave a lot more because it was all she had than somebody who was giving the right proportion. Believe me, these scribes and Pharisees and others, they gave exactly their tithe down to the leaves of their oregano. And so Jesus says, hey, that's, you know, I'm into proportion here and these things. J.C. Ryle puts your giving into perspective when he says, although Christ's work does not depend on our money, yet he is pleased to test the reality of our grace by allowing us to help him. Now, the second thing we notice is what I just said. God considers the proportion more than the portion. She gave proportionally more than the wealthy who gave out of their abundance and had tons left over. The encouragement here is to remember that in all areas of your life, God is looking for your motives, not any amount. God keeps a book of remembrance. This is in Malachi chapter 3, verse 16. Keeps a remembrance book of your life. Do some of you have these? Maybe a baby book when your little ones were little ones and all, you know, their first handprint and their first picture when they came home from the hospital and page after page of just outstanding memories. I've seen some of them. I'm, you know, people hand them to you. You've got to look at them. I mean, that's just the way it is. I've yet to see one that has a chapter on the worst diapers ever. And just, oh, oh, yeah, Coco's in San Bernardino. I remember that. And, you know, just because you don't put those kinds of things really in your book of remembrance. And, you know, when God, we always think about God keeping tabs on your life and there's this idea that he's going to show this terrible video of your life to the inhabitants of heaven and you're going to be embarrassed. I think God is more selective. In fact, I know he is because he died to set you free and forgive you your sins. He doesn't need to show the sins that he forgave you for. I mean, that would nullify his work on the cross. Your book of remembrance is going to be filled with marvelous remembrances of your time spent with God, of conversations you had with God. And like Gino was saying this morning, take our Peru trip as an example. It really is true that if a person prays for, gives to, is concerned about that trip, God will reward them as if they went on that trip. Equally. And so there's going to come a time when you stand before the Lord, if you're a Christian, he's going to say, hey, I want to talk to you about Project Pucallpa in 2005. I didn't go. Oh, yeah, you did. Your prayers, your gifts, your concern all came before me. And I know you would have gone if you could have. I I prevented you from going. You weren't able to because of this, that or the other thing. And, And so don't you know, I'm not going to blame you for what I brought into your life. I'm going to bless you. And so this widow is a good example of that. The third thing to notice and the thing that we really want to concentrate on is that Jesus said out of her poverty, she put in all the livelihood that she had. Now, all the livelihood probably means it was the money she needed to live on that day. Doesn't mean she gave everything, all of her possessions and all that to live a life of voluntary poverty. She was already poor. It means that that day she was going to live on a daily budget of two-eighths of a penny. But she gave it to God instead. Now, how she could live on two-eighths of a penny, I don't know. But even that, she gave to the Lord. It's a practical illustration of the spiritual principle that you daily offer to God your life as a living sacrifice. 
which is in effect what she did. She had two mites that were going to get her through the day. And she said, Lord, these are yours. You get me through the day. I offer them to you. I don't have any way of livelihood or living today. These are yours. And, and, and that's what we need to be doing. Now, it doesn't mean that every day you should come here and put your daily budget into the offering box. It means that in addition to giving to the work of God, you make yourself and everything you own or manage available to God on a daily basis. You get up in the morning and you say, Lord, I want my life to count. I want my life to belong to you. I want to surrender my life. I want to offer myself a living sacrifice to you, which is holy and acceptable. It's my reasonable duty as a Christian for all that you've done for me. Just do whatever you want in and through my life. And then God will say, great, go to Africa. No, he won't. No, he might, but he probably won't. He'll probably say, great. Go to work and be a testimony at work. Let me give you some opportunities to share with others. Let me give you some ideas about how you can do that. Go to school and let me show you how you can represent me at your school. Go home and let me show you how to be a a great husband or a wonderful wife or uh, a fantastic parent or a child who obeys their parents and those kinds of things. As you say, Lord, everything I am and have, I give to you. And then you leave it there and you let God use it. That's that's the example of this widow woman. And then you get up the next day and you do the same thing day in and day out and day in and day out. Now, take a look at this widow for a minute. Think of her plight. We're not told a great deal about her, but we know that she was extremely poor and that she was a widow. And it was terrible enough to be a widow, to be a poor widow. No companionship. She had lost her life's companion. We don't know how, you know, soon before that, but she's just in a terrible position. And there's these scribes, these doctors of the law who are devouring what little she had. And in this, what we might consider drudgery of a life, she gets up one day, spends some time with the Lord and somehow senses him saying to her, My dearly loved widow, take your two mites and drop them in the offering today. And she may have said, Lord, is that you? These two mites that I was going to use to get through all of my livelihood, Lord, I I just want to be sure that we're on the same page. And the Lord said, yeah, uh uh-huh, it's me. And that's what I'm asking you to do. And she got dressed. She went down to the temple, faced the embarrassment, and this would have been a tremendous embarrassment. All these rich individuals clanking their coins. I think I'll give to this fund. Oh, how about some over here? Oh, look at Dr. Hillel. Oh, man. He's really giving to the poor. Wait, he robbed from the poor to give to the poor. And then along comes this widow. I'm sure she's not dressed very well. You're not really going to go to the new Gottschalks in Fresno with two eighths of a penny, you know, and think you're going to get anything. No credit in those days. And somehow she has to muscle her way in and get through and put these in. And if anybody took notice of her at all, it would just be out of embarrassment. And I'm sure there were people who thought, well, just keep your two mites. What, what, what is God going to do with that? But on that day, on that 
amazing day, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was in that place. And he was telling people to beware of these evil scribes. And just as he finished, he looked over and there was that obedient woman putting in her two mites. And he said what he said to his disciples, to that audience that day, and to millions of Christians throughout human history. That might have been the only thing that that widow ever really was asked to do for God in a, in a really big sense. But she did it. And so what I'm saying to you is that you and I might get up every day and offer ourselves like that to God. And it may seem like a drudgery sometimes. We may wonder, Lord, am I hearing you? This is what you want me to do? Am I, am I, are we clear on that? You can't make your way into the Bible because it's finished. But God is using your life, or at least he can, in the same way. And we don't know how. We can't see all the people we may touch or the ways that God may... We may never see that this side of heaven. One of the things that... And it kind of bothers me a little bit about our modern culture. Everybody has to make something out of their death or out of their tragedy. Let God make something out of it. What I mean is, there's always a foundation. This happened, well, I can't believe that this happened as just a tragedy, so let me establish a foundation. Let me establish a fund. Let me somehow put some meaning into this. Let God put meaning into your life, into your death, into the things that happen. Your part, my part, is to just get up and say, Lord, here are my two mites. Whatever that represents. Maybe, maybe you're, you're in a two-mite wage bracket or maybe your two mites are pretty extravagant it doesn't matter you offer that all of that to the lord say lord use that in some way today that would bring glory to you stretch me a little bit but let me see your love for me and lost mankind that's that's really what i want to do make me the widow make me the widow let's pray together father we do thank you for these things You choose the most unlikely heroes and heroines for us, Lord. Heroes and heroines of faith. And yet, Lord, when we look at them, there's really nothing special about them except that they hear you and they obey you. And that's something that each and every one of us can do. And we can do it a little bit more clearly because we have the Word of God. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit. And so I just pray, Lord, that we would be free to surrender our lives to you daily And then moment by moment, it'll cost us something at some point, but what we'll gain from it is far greater, a richness and a depth in our walk with you. Use our lives, Lord, in simple ways or in profound ways. That's not for us to say or to choose. We don't want to be anything like these scribes. We want to be everything like this widow. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand. Some of the guys will be here after service as they are each week. Their sole purpose is to represent Jesus Christ to you. They want to pray with you or share with you, depending on what's in your heart. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a believer. You're not a Christian. Jesus died. He rose from the dead so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could come to him, know him, and receive eternal life. These guys would be happy to pray with you a prayer leading you to Christ. Maybe there's a burden in your life. 
Maybe like this widow woman, you've been living for a long time in some kind of spiritual poverty. Maybe today is the day that Jesus Christ is here in a sense that he's going to do something special and amazing. Give him that opportunity. Pray with these guys. If not, may God bless and keep you until we meet once again. Amen.